DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents the Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life, including Spiritual Consolation, the book on which this series is based. The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. So welcome back, and let's pick up right up with Anne and the, the seventh rule. So last time we went through Anne's experience, let's go back over it now to see what we can glean from it in terms of understanding the rules and um, specifically rule seven. But I like the example because it allows us in a sense at this latter stage of the rules to look back over what we've done thus far. So Anne is faced with a discernment and her discernment is whether she is being called by God to participate in the volunteer program in the third world run by the religious sisters with whom she's associated. And um, underlying that is her sense that if she does do that program, not only will she serve the poor in a way that she loves, but she'll also have a chance to discern, as it were, on the spot or in action, whether God might be calling her to join these sisters, whether God might be calling her to the religious life. So this is uh, an option, more than an option. She's been moving in this direction. And then at a certain point with spiritual consolation, another thought emerges as to whether God might be calling her to something that is more difficult uh, and therefore actually more conformed to Christ to work with the, the students at the university who are so like the lost sheep, you know, as she sees when she prays. And uh, in so doing, also complete the master's program that she has begun. So, as she is discerning, so she, she wisely gets a good spiritual director and in the process of direction is going through the discernment. And toward the volunteer program, she receives clear signs that this is what the Lord actually wants. That day, as she's walking home, she experiences a consolation without preceding cause, which as we know from rule two, only God can do. And in that experience has a very clear um, sense beyond any doubting that God is actually calling her to the volunteer program and to begin that when the academic year finishes in the spring. So she has a pretty clear sign that this is what God wants. She shares this with her, her director who confirms her understanding of this. And then in subsequent days and weeks, she continues to receive spiritual consolation now with preceding cause, the more ordinary kind, ordinary if we can say that of God's grace, but the more common um, grace of spiritual consolation, which is with preceding cause. And when she receives this consolation, she feels a continual, continuing constant attraction toward the volunteer program in the spring. If we can open a parenthesis in terms of Ignatius' teaching on discernment of God's will, very likely she's experiencing here something that's moving in the direction of second-mode discernment, which is precisely through a, a continual attraction of the heart toward one option 
in time of spiritual consolation. So this is where things stand at this point. And then into the process, a a new experience uh, enters. And this is, again, also spiritual consolation with preceding cause as she considers Jesus, whose heart goes out, sends his disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, uh, you know, that what she's experiencing in the university uh, very readily comes to mind. These students who materially have everything but are so lost in terms of any meaning in their life, uh, any understanding, and so confused in so many ways, and how so many are responding to the uh, group that she has formed, this prayer group and study of the Bible and so on, and the difference that it's making in their lives. So now something new comes into this spiritual consolation with preceding cause and thoughts of another initiative, a good and holy initiative, which certainly would do great good at the university and would also allow her to complete her, uh, the reason for which she returned to the university, and that is to get the master's. Obviously, the discernment matters. As with all these discernments we've been facing uh, throughout our exposition of these rules, Obviously, if she, whether she goes to the third world country or not, a number of people are going to be affected, either the students at the university or the people that she'll serve and with whom she'll live in the third world country. And as we've been saying, her own vocation and clarity about her vocational discernment may also well be involved in this. So if we can go back to the experience of Anne, uh, let's just note that when the experience comes to her, so if you, if you look again at page 12 in the handout, the final paragraph, Anne knew that it would be difficult to renounce the volunteer program and the joy of life together with the other religious and volunteers. So this is a very generous woman. She's not looking for the easy way out. Life will be more comfortable if I stay in this country. She genuinely and sincerely and only wants what God wants of her, and she is thoroughly ready to embrace what would be harder in terms of lifestyle, the poverty, the conditions in which she'd live. She's a a person in the second spiritual situation, clearly at this point. She was conscious that for her, life on the secularized campus would be in many ways more demanding than the service of the poor in the third world. The twinge of uneasiness that mingled with her thoughts did not alter the joy that Anne felt at the prospect of serving God among the university students. And she continues to reflect on this. If you remember when we uh, put up the image of the the water falling on a stone or the water entering uh, easily into the sponge or the water falling on the stone, this was not clamorous, loud, tumultuous. It's just a very, uh, a slight, even affective dissonance. As the spiritual consolation with preceding cause comes, and these new thoughts, which are enveloped in a sense of, of warmth and God's love and joy and closeness in the Lord and a desire to be completely generous and available to the Lord to embrace even the harder situation, which would be for her to remain in the university, if that's really where the Lord wants her to be. In the midst of all of this is just a thread of a little uneasiness, twinge of uneasiness that comes into this. And in Ignatian terms, what we're experiencing here very likely is the water falling on the rock. Just a little bit of, a little more noisy, um, the splattering, if we stay with the image, 
It's not entirely to use the second metaphor, like a person easily walking through an open door into his own house, but it's like going into another house where the door is closed. It's just a little twinge of something that is not fully joyful or at peace in this. That's what Ignatius is inviting us to notice in Rule 7. Obviously, uh, as I may have said before, if this kind of discernment is possible, this is the most refined point of discernment, not only in this set of rules, but in both sets of rules. So when Anne is pursuing the volunteer program, she has the consolation without preceding cause, with a clear indication that this is what the Lord wants. This is confirmed through a series of further experiences of consolation without preceding, uh, with preceding cause, excuse me, and a continual attraction toward the volunteer program. Her spiritual director with whom she shares this confirms um, her discernment in this. She is already setting things in motion to head toward the volunteer program. In Ignatius' terms, in terms of Rule 7, at this point, as she pursues the volunteer program, Anne is going from good to better. Now, when the new thought and the spiritual consolation with preceding cause and the new thought of staying at the university as conceivably something the Lord may want as an act of greater generosity and greater service, when that enters, there is the little twinge of anxiety, of uneasiness that mingles with the much more uh, palpable and global sense of joy. But it isn't just simply and univocally a sense of joy. There is the twinge of uneasiness. And in terms of Ignatius' metaphor in Rule 7, we have a pretty good indication here that, the, that this is not of the Lord, because this doesn't enter in her heart simply like water entering a sponge, but it more enters like the, uh, the little tumult and disturbance that will come when a drop of water falls on a stone or on a rock. So if Anne, with her director's help, and she'll need his, her director's help on this because, as we've said so often, the responsibility is not on her shoulders to, to know all of this. That's the competence of a wise and, and well-prepared director. If with her director's help, who is going to be listening attentively as Anne shares with him what we've read in the account, if she can identify that twinge of uneasiness that mingles with the joy in her heart as she thinks of staying at the university, then she has already a first sign right in the very beginning that this is not of God. What if Anne is unable to even notice, you know, be aware, understand, take action? What if Anne is unaware of, um, doesn't, it doesn't even register, and um, she's certainly not able to share with, with her director, the twinge of uneasiness that mingles with the joy of this new thought. Well, you can already tell me what I'm going to say at this point. There is no shame in that. She and her director will simply continue to discern according to the rules that we've already seen. As we've said before, the reason why Ignatius helps us to discern rule five according to the end, rule six according to the middle, is because he presumes that often... Um, maybe even very often, we aren't going to pick up enough clarity in the beginning of it, uh, itself when the new thought with the spiritual consolation with preceding cause first arises. So there's no shame if she and her director do not see clearly as she narrates what happened when the thought first arose. What they'll continue to do now 
is to watch and let the course of the thoughts unfold and watch for the signs either of no diminishment at all, which will be signs of the good spirit, or some kind of affective or objective diminishment, which will be a clear sign, Ignatius says, of the enemy. <clears throat> okay, uh, that's rule seven. And uh, we'll move um, now into the final rule, which is rule eight. And I'd like to begin rule eight by looking at an experience together. And let's look at the experience first, and then we'll move from the experience to the text. So if you'll take the handout, um, you have here Philip under rule eight. Philip is a 52-year-old married man deeply dedicated to Christ. For many years, he has sought to love God and his family and to witness faithfully to the Lord in the workplace. Over these same years, Philip has developed a deep life of prayer and a growing closeness to God. His life is full, and in the vicissitudes of daily living, Philip experiences a profoundly rooted sense of God's love. So like all the other people we've been considering in the second set of rules, this is a mature, dedicated, generous Christian, one who loves the Lord, is living his vocation richly and fruitfully. One year ago, Philip was reflecting on God's great goodness to him throughout his life. As he prayed, Philip was moved by a profound sense of gratitude and a desire to respond more fully to that love arose in his heart. For some years, he had felt drawn to serve as a deacon in the church. In his prayer that day, Philip wondered whether the Lord might indeed be calling him to this new gift of self in service. So a discernment arises for Philip. In the following weeks, Philip discussed this calling with his wife and children, all of whom supported his interest in the diaconate. Philip then spoke with his pastor, who likewise encouraged him, and suggested that Philip consider making a retreat to discern this call more fully. Philip welcomed the suggestion and planned to do so when work would allow. That summer, Philip made his retreat at the local retreat house near the sea. He willingly prayed with the scriptures proposed by the director and found the days blessed with the warm sense of God's closeness. So the retreat unfolds uh, with a sense of warm spiritual consolation. On the fifth day, Philip went out walking along the shore. After a time, he sat by the water, thinking of nothing in particular, simply watching the gulls and the waves. Suddenly, he felt the presence of God in a powerful and almost overwhelming way, a way he had never known before. Philip was absolutely sure that the experience was from God. Every inch of his being knew it. The certainty brought with it a great sense of awe, and he broke into tears. Philip had never felt so totally loved by God. The experience was so profound that his tears continued often throughout the day, and again when he spoke with his director that evening. So with reverence, because as other times we are very much on holy ground here, I think all of us will readily recognize that very likely, uh, I would say beyond any real doubt, what we have here is a consolation without preceding cause. It's all there. Uh, this totalizing experience of God's love, the absence of any spiritual object on which Philip is, um, turns his mind and his heart in the time immediately preceding the gift. It's simply poured out upon him abundantly and richly, and he knows beyond any doubt that this is of God. 
We'll return to The Second Week Rules for the Disturbance of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. The warmth of that grace-filled experience by the sea remained with Philip during the next days of retreat, and he continued to reflect on that great gift of love. Philip perceived that something new had entered his relationship with God through that experience. He sensed that this new manifestation of God's love was also an invitation to show his own love in a new way. It seemed evident that this new response of love must be the call to the diaconate that he was even then discerning in the retreat. With joy in his heart, Philip understood that his discernment was complete he now knew that God was indeed calling him to serve as deacon. Philip looked forward to sharing this newfound clarity with his director that evening. So with reverence, because this is a man who loves the Lord, this is a rich and powerful and beautiful experience of spiritual consolation, certainly from God, consolation without preceding cause. 
the warmth of which fills the the next few days of let's let's say he's making an eight day Ignatian retreat. Well, what do we say about Philip's understanding of what's happened? Is his discernment complete? This is the kind of experience that Ignatius will address in Rule Eight. Precisely, discernment in situations of this kind that Ignatius discerned uh, will will uh, discuss and clarify in his final rule. I'll say parenthetically that. Uh, as a spiritual director, I don't know how I would find my way through such uh, experiences without the gift of this Rule 8, which, like all the others, is a wonderful jewel. Now, in Rule 8, just a few thoughts, and then we'll read the text itself of the rule. In Rule 8, Ignatius returns to consolation without preceding cause. Ignatius first clarified what he means by consolation without preceding cause in Rule 2. In the subsequent five intervening rules, Rules 3 through 7, as we've seen, Ignatius focuses on the more common experience of consolation with preceding cause, which may be of the good spirit or the enemy and how to discern in that case. Now, in his final rule, Rule 8, Ignatius returns again to consolation without preceding cause, but with a difference with respect to Rule 2. In Rule 2, the focus was on the time immediately preceding the consolation. Was there or was there not a cause of the consolation that followed in that time immediately preceding the object, the link, the person's activity, all that we saw? In Rule 8, Ignatius is going to focus on the time following the consolation without preceding cause. And what he will do is help us to see a distinction of spiritual significance between the time itself of the consolation without preceding cause and the time following the consolation without preceding cause. Let's read the text of the rule. The eighth. When the consolation is without cause, although there is no deception in it, since it is, it is of God our Lord alone, as has been said. So Ignatius um, explicitly refers back to Rule 2. Nevertheless, the spiritual person to whom God gives such a consolation should with much vigilance and attention, that's the constant call in discernment in the second spiritual situation, awareness, attention, vigilance, should with much vigilance and attention look at and distinguish the time itself of such an actual consolation from the time following, in which the soul remains warm and favored with the favor and remnants of the past consolation. All right, so that's what the soul should do. That's what the person should do, and the spiritual director will help the person to do that. Now, why should the person do that? For frequently in this second time, through his own reasoning, by associating and drawing consequences from ideas and judgments, or through the good spirit, or through the bad, he forms different proposals and opinions, which are not given immediately by God, our Lord. And therefore, they must be very well examined before entire credit is given them, or they are put into effect. All right, as always, it's, uh, Ignatius' text is packed. Let, packed. Let's unpack it now. So Rule 8 
applies. First question, when does Rule 8 apply? To what person in what circumstances? It applies when a person in the second spiritual situation has received a consolation without preceding cause. Now Rule 8 applies. This person, Ignatius says, should with much vigilance and attention. Again, that's very packed language. This person needs to exercise in this situation vigilance, and not only vigilance, but attention, and not only vigilance and attention, but much vigilance and attention. All right, what is it then to which the person blessed with the consolation without preceding cause should direct much vigilance and attention? The person should, with much vigilance and attention, look at and distinguish the time itself of the consolation from the time following. So that's where the attention, the vigilance, the much vigilance and attention, the looking at, the distinguishing, it's directed toward this, toward distinguishing clearly the time itself when God gives the actual consolation without preceding cause from the time that follows uh, after that grace is given. The time following, and Ignatius amplifies, that is the time in which the soul remains warm and favored with the favor and remnants of the past consolation. So the soul, the consolation itself is past. Um, Let's say Anne, for example, she's walking home from class and suddenly her heart is powerfully filled with a, a deep sense of being loved by the Lord. Okay, and in, in that, as we said, the thought of the volunteer program is something God wants uh, comes. Uh, how long is that consolation actually present? Uh, she doesn't say in the account, but let's um, just to be at the risk of being too analytical, but to be very clear, let's say that that consolation remains with her for Uh, Five minutes, five very blessed minutes when God is pouring out this consolation upon her. And then gently the the consolation itself passes. But as Ignatius says, the soul remains warm, uh, enkindled, filled, joyful, blessed, grateful, with the favor and remnants of the consolation that is now past. This is the time following that Ignatius wants us to distinguish from the time itself of the consolation. In the time following, the consolation without preceding cause itself is past. Those five very grace-filled minutes for Anne with their enormous blessing, uh, those minutes have passed. But the warmth and the joy of that consolation very understandably still remain in the person's heart. That's the time following. Father Gallagher will continue the teachings from Conference Talk 7 in our next episode. You've been listening to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download the podcast version of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. To view Father Gallagher's video presentation of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission 
And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher.